The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The podcast is out late today because of the breaking news that Mark Turgeon is out at Maryland. I obviously want to weigh in on that, and I will get to that here shortly. Uh, On the show in this first segment, I will give you the keys to a win over the Raiders on Sunday. I'll give you a prediction on the game. Also, my smell test here in the first segment. Ross Tucker is going to be on the show. We'll talk Washington football team with him and other NFL. And then Stanford Steve will be on the show. He'll finish it up uh, with me at the end. We'll preview the college football championship weekend, which starts tonight and culminates with the Final Four uh, selection late Sunday morning, early Sunday afternoon. Just a reminder to those that haven't subscribed to the podcast, helps us if you can do it, doesn't cost you a thing. Also, rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Um, That really helps us from a business uh, standpoint. All right, to Mark Turgeon. Uh, The statement put out early this afternoon uh, from the uh, university, a statement titled, Maryland Athletics, Mark Turgeon, Mutually Agreed to Part Ways, Danny Manning Named Interim Head Coach. Uh, The statement reads as follows. In a mutual decision, Maryland Athletics announced that Mark Turgeon is stepping down as the head coach for the men's basketball program. Damon Evans is the athletic director. His quote, quote, after a series of conversations with Coach Turgeon, we agreed that a coaching change was the best move for Coach Turgeon and for the Maryland men's basketball program. He's dedicated over a decade of his life to the University of Maryland and is coached with distinction and honor. He leaves College Park as the 2020 Big Ten Conference champion and with more than 225 victories. He's a great coach and a great person, and I wish Mark, his wife Anne, and his entire family all the best in the next chapter of their lives. Now, Mark Turgeon had a quote in the uh, school's press release, quote, after several in-depth conversations with Damon, I've decided that the best thing for Maryland basketball, myself and my family, is to step down effective immediately as the head coach of Maryland basketball. I've always preached that Maryland basketball is bigger than any one individual. My departure will enable a new voice to guide the team moving forward. Maryland basketball has been my passion and focus for the last 10 seasons. I'm extremely proud of what we've accomplished. It is through the combined effort and commitment from our coaches and players, both past and present, that we have sustained consistent consistent success Excuse me, in a sport that is ultra-competitive. I am extremely grateful to have worked with each and every one of you. It has truly been an honor to be the men's basketball coach at the University of Maryland, closed quote. So, 
Uh, my thoughts on this. Uh, I will start with this. First of all, good man, good family, really good basketball coach. Uh, you can just trust me if you don't know Mark. Um, he's a really great guy and he's got a great family. The good basketball coach thing, that's not debatable in my opinion. And I've debated it with many of you over the years. Um, personally, if you tell me you think he's a bad basketball coach, I don't think you know much about basketball. Now, if you want to debate me on whether or not he's good enough for Maryland, whether or not Maryland could or should strive for better, well, that's a different debate altogether. And I've debated that with myself and even my friends over the years about Mark, about whether or not they could do better. But don't debate me on whether or not he's a good basketball coach. You know, he's won 471 games at four different schools. 471 and 272 is his overall record. He's 221 and 113 in 10 years at Maryland. 23 or more wins six times in 10 years at Maryland. Six NCAA tournament qualifications in 10 years. Four top three finishes in seven years in the Big Ten, which has been very arguably and debatably the best conference in the land over the last three or four years. Overall in the Big Ten, in the seven years in the Big Ten, 82 and 50 in the Big Ten. He had to navigate, by the way, as a coach of a basketball first school, the move from the ACC into the Big Ten. Different style of basketball, a whole different deal altogether. I mean, both obviously you know, iconic conferences, uh, the Big Ten more so in football, but has been great in basketball, and the ACC is a basketball conference for so many years. I don't think he came to Maryland uh, from Texas A&M to coach in the Big Ten, but he navigated that that trip into the Big Ten uh, very well, in my opinion. Now, we'll get to the March results. I'm aware of what his record in the NCAA tournament is. I know what it is. But let me just, you know, let me just tell you what I think uh, for another minute or two about him as a basketball coach. First of all, there isn't anybody that knows anything about basketball that wouldn't tell you that he's an outstanding defensive coach. He has been, and he still is. Now, offensively, I've been critical over the years, specifically the pace of play. I've always felt like, you know, if you've got more talent than the opposition, You should hope and strive for more possessions in a game, not less possessions in a game. And Maryland hasn't always had the best talent on the floor in the Big Ten. Um, But more times than not, they've had superior talent to most of the teams they've had on their schedule over the years. And yet they've always been, you know, in the bottom third of NCAA schools in pace of play, possessions per game. And that's something that I've been critical of. I, I never liked the pace. Now, there have been some teams where he couldn't run. You know, you got to be able to rebound to run. And you got to you got to have, have players that can get out on a break and finish. And last year's team is an example, is a perfect example of a team that, you know, they weren't, you know, they were limited. You know, after two star players left the program, Sticks to go to the NBA and Anthony Cowan based on graduation, you know, th- that was a rebuilding team last year. But that's been really the primary criticism I've had of him as a coach, outstanding defensive coach. But I think he's really grown as an offensive coach over the years. Not that he was a bad offensive coach. I just was always critical of pace of play. But back to the results. Six NCAA tournaments, one Sweet 16. 
10 years at Maryland, one Sweet 16. If that's your mic drop moment, you can have it and you deserve it, okay? I get it. One Sweet 16 in 10 years at Maryland isn't good enough. I understand that. I've talked about that before. A place like Maryland that's won a national championship, been to two Final Fours, three Elite Eights, and many Sweet 16s over the years, one Sweet 16 in 10 years is not good enough. But let's just you know give it some context. Uh, one of the years they got eliminated in the second round to West Virginia, they lost their best player who got hurt, Mello Trimble, in that game. They lost another round of 32 game to get to the Sweet 16 at the buzzer to a team with a salary cap, LSU. And his best team, his very best team, didn't get a chance to play in the tournament because of COVID. The 2020 team was going to be a two-seed, maybe worst case a three-seed, and they were going to have a chance to make a deep run into the tournament with a senior point guard who was outstanding and a big man who was blowing up and super versatile with all of the supporting pieces, Aaron Wiggins, Daryl Morcel, Eric Ayala, etc., That was a really good team. His best team didn't get a chance. We wouldn't be having this conversation today, I don't believe, if COVID hadn't happened. I think that team would have gone into the tournament, it would have made a deep run, and he would have gotten a contract extension, and last year would have been a bonus. Last year we would have been saying, whoa, what a job. Rebuilding year, and they still got to the tournament, and they beat UConn in the first round, a favored UConn team. Now, some of you would say, yeah, they probably wouldn't have gotten to the Sweet 16. Okay. And you know what? If they if they had been ousted in the first weekend with that team in 2020, I probably would have felt much differently. But I would have loved to have seen what that team could have done. Um, look, it's been my contention in recent years when we've had this debate that I don't want to move on from him. I've advocated, and I did advocate last year and in previous years, for a contract extension. The momentum of six NCAA tournament qualifying uh, teams in the last seven years um, without his best team getting uh, a chance, I just thought they should stick it out. You know, I think college basketball is so much more competitive than it's ever been. And having a team that you know is pretty much a lock to be in the tournament year in and year out, and then you take your best swing from there, I think that's pretty good. Is it good enough to be bounced in the, you know, before the second weekend each year? No, it isn't. I want better results, too. I know what this place can be and should be. But I thought he was getting better as a coach. I thought the results were improving. And you know, there was a time, and I've brought this example up in the past, there was a time where Villanova fans wanted Jay Wright out. There was like a six-year period where he didn't get out of the second weekend or didn't get out of the first weekend of the tournament and advance to the second weekend. And Villanova fans were like, that's it. Had enough of Jay Wright. I mean, hell, one of my favorite all-time coaches in any sport for any of the teams that I've rooted for and one of my favorite people, Gary Williams, before he got to to the first Final Four and before he won the national championship in his second Final Four, there were screams from this fan base that Sweet 16s weren't good enough. Thank God we didn't move on from Gary when probably many of you listening to this who are old enough were probably screaming for Gary's head because he couldn't get out of the Sweet 16. By the way, I do know that Jay Wright got to a Final Four before that six-year stretch of tournament futility. 
I think Mark was a, a good coach who was improving, which is why, you know, recently I've advocated for him um, and advocated for an extension last year, which they sort of gave him. But that's over. You know, um, he's moving on. Uh, and I do think this is much more his call than the school's call. I don't think that this is – the timing of this um, is certainly odd, um, but I'm sure there are legitimate reasons for it. Um, but now what? Well, I mean, I've said this many times to all of you that care about Maryland basketball like I do. Be careful what you wish for. You know, and many of you listening have wished for this. Maryland is a top 15 to top 20 job. It is. I mean, some of you will roll your eyes, but you don't know what you're talking about. You ask anybody in the business, and it's because of a lot of things. Maryland's not a top 15 program right now. I'll concede that to you, clearly. But I'm making the distinction between top 15, top 20 program and top 15 to top 20 job. It is a top 15 to top 20 job. The location, the conference it's in, the hotbed of high school basketball talent in its backyard, the tradition of being a basketball first school, a beautiful building that they play in, the Xfinity Center, an incredible home court environment, a tradition which includes a national championship, coaches knowing they can win a national championship coming to Maryland, a long time and very passionate fan base, um, a very, very demanding fan base uh, for sure. Um, Again, it's not currently a top 15 to top 20 program. It's not that far off from being a top 20 program, Um, but it is a top 15 to to top 20 job. Most people in the sport will tell you that. Uh, So where will they go? Well, I know much of the fan base thinks, well, they can do a lot better than Mark Turgeon. And I hope that those of you that think that, I hope you're right. I'm not convinced that you are, even though it's a top job. You know, a lot of these top jobs get top coaches that don't do great jobs when they get there. Uh, I don't know where they're going to go next. I want Maryland to win big. I want them to win big again. They haven't been winning big over the last 10 years. They've won a lot, but not won big. And I want them to win big. So, you know, a clean slate, I'm not going to sit here and be disingenuous and tell you that I'm not intrigued about what they could attract and what they could get and and having sort of new life put into the program. Because I do get that for many of you, it, it had gotten stale. Now, we're just two years removed from, I think, the most exciting season of the Turgeon era, the 2020 season, the Big Ten regular season championship season. Incredible big-time games played that year. You know, the game at Illinois on a Friday night that they won between two highly ranked teams. The game at Indiana that they won on the on the sticks, you know, uh, shot at, 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 the, at the near buzzer. The Cowan win over Illinois early in the year. The Michigan State Classic in East Lansing when Cowan scored nine straight points on three straight threes. And then the Michigan game to, to, to get the uh, share of the Big Ten title game in the last sporting event that many of you even went to. March of 2020, then the world shut down. I want them to aim high. I do. But I know that they're also moving on, or he's moving on, but the mutual decision to move on from this, that they're moving on right now without a solid basketball coach. Now, where do they go? Who are some of the names? Well, You know, there was a lot of discussion about some big-name coaches being on the hot seat before this year. You know, guys like Mike Bray. 
you know, at Notre Dame, believe it or not, you know, was a guy that's been thought of to be on the hot seat. Jim Laranega at Miami. Obviously, he coached George Mason, coached them to a Final Four. You know, there are names like, you know, uh, Chris Collins at Northwestern or longtime coaches like Bruce Weber or Tom Crean or Frank Martin, you know, Brad Brown- Brownell at Clemson, who's been a really good coach, who, by the way, hasn't won anything, has barely even been to tournaments and is now in his 11th season at Clemson. I understand. Apples and oranges, that's a football first school. Basketball is a distant uh, second or third behind spring football. Um, You know, those are some of the names of people that could be on the hot seat. And then there are names, you know, like guys like Nate Oates at Alabama and, you know, uh, more recently, you know, guys that might be looking to make a move up. Yeah, Alabama to Maryland is a move up in basketball, not in football, but in basketball it is. You know, there are other guys. We saw one here recently. There's a lot of people who really like Kim English, the head coach at George Mason. He came in here and beat Maryland a few weeks ago. Um, and, well, I, I have no idea the direction in which they'll go. And Danny Manning is the interim coach for now. He will have, by the way, a full season to prove that maybe he's worthy of being the head coach. I doubt that that'll happen. He was not a very successful head coach at Wake Forest. We'll see what happens. He's got a whole slate of Big Ten games to coach in. You know, their first Big Ten game is Sunday against Northwestern. He's going to have 20 Big Ten games with a decent team that, by the way, was picked like fifth, fourth or fifth in the league. We'll see what happens. What Maryland basketball should be, I've said this many times before, it should be, I'll give you the snapshot of what every five years should be. Every five years, they should qualify for the NCAA tournament no less than four. They should make two sweet 16s, and in one of those five years, have a legitimate chance to make it to a Final Four and compete for a national championship. I think that's what Maryland basketball reasonably should expect. I don't think that's delusional. I know some of you think it should be a Final Four team, that it should be on par with Kansas, Duke, Carolina, and, and, and uh, Kentucky. No, it's not that. It should be, though, in that next tier of really good basketball schools. It has the potential to be Villanova, to be Michigan State, to be in that category, which it was for many years under Gary. It wasn't one of the Blue Bloods, but it was in that next category of really, really top-notch, borderline elite programs. Programs consistently competing for big stakes in March. That's my five-year, you know, reasonable expectation. No less than four tournaments in five years, no less than two Sweet 16s, and one out of every five years you've got a legitimate chance to go to a Final Four and win a national championship. And I say that talking as if college basketball hasn't changed dramatically in recent years with the transfer portal, with NIL, all of those you know new challenges that make a lot of programs, give a lot of programs a, a quick chance at a turnaround each year, um, which, by the way, can also favor the bigger programs like Maryland as well. One last thing. He got booed the other night against Virginia Tech by his home crowd. I would not be surprised if much of why this has happened now is because many of you didn't like him, and he and his family got sick of many of you too. You know, the Maryland fan base, I'm very familiar with it. I'm part of it. I have been my entire life. It's so important to me. Too important, probably. 
Um, but very passionate. I can, just like with the Washington football team, I can give you every game and every detail going back to some of, of Lefty's teams. I grew up loving John Lucas and Brad Davis and Albert King and Buck Williams and Greg Manning and then, of course, Adrian Branch and Len Bias and all of Lefty's teams. And then living you know, through the Gary years was just thrilling. As great as Lefty was, Gary brought us the national championship. Gary was the better coach, really. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Lefty was a phenomenal recruiter and a phenomenal entertainer and was a really good coach. And it was different back then because if Lefty had coached in the era where, you know, more than just one team from each league went to a tournament, he probably would have gotten a Final Four and maybe a national championship with his 74 team. Gary was phenomenal, though. Great coach, incredible program, incredible identity we had with Gary more than anything else. This redheaded stepchild in a league that preferred all the Carolina teams, Duke and Carolina in particular, I loved that. And to have a fighter like Gary, a tough guy, a competitor that did his best when he was cornered, nobody, nobody beat up on Carolina and Duke like Maryland did. Maryland's the third all-time winningest program in ACC history behind North Carolina and Duke. And it was starting to, and it still right now, is beginning to sort of establish itself in the Big Ten. I'm still not used to it, but I will tell you in the last couple of years, it's been kind of exciting because it's been the best league in the country. But he got booed the other night at home because they lost to Louisville in the Bahamas because they were off to a 5-2 and two start. This is the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You're going to boo the head coach. You guys were sick of him. Many of you were, not me. Many of you were, and I think he and his family just got tired of all of you too. Most of those people booing, by the way, the other night, most of you who were, if any of you were listening, you're the same people that say to me things like, man, I hated that zone defense they played last night when they played man-to-man the entire game. Most of you have no idea what you're watching. You know, I'm never, ever impressed and haven't been impressed with any of of the people in the fan base, including many of my friends who have come up to me several times, countless times in recent years, and said, Turge is a terrible coach. Why? And then the reasons they give are never very impressive because they don't know why. And the reason is he's not a bad coach. He's a good coach. But again, the other debate, good enough for Maryland? Well, one sweet 16 in 10 years is a mic drop moment. I agree with that. I concede that to all of you who have wanted to move on. Uh, Look, um, the results in March, uh, which is the month that most coaches get judged by, was his downfall. There's no doubt. More than anything else, it was the results in March. We'll never know what would have happened in 2020. Um, but it doesn't matter anymore. I wish Mark and his family the best. I know they love living here. I hope that he continues to coach. I hate that he did this now in the middle of the season, but I'm sure that he's got his reasons for it. Many coaches over the years have said, um, you know, this is a great place to coach. He has said that. He said that one of the reasons he took the job and he took the job quickly was people like Roy Williams uh, and and Larry Brown said to him, oh, no, 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 that's the job you got to take. That's a And Roy Williams told him, you're not going to believe how passionate that fan base is. So for him, I wish him the best. For many of you, I know he wasn't good enough for many of you. So 
Let's hope uh, Maryland basketball uh, does better. We're about to find out just how much better it can do without a man who ran this program, by the way, cleanly, with integrity, and won a shitload of games over the years. Onward, I guess, now. Uh, They play Northwestern on Sunday. We'll see what Danny Manning is as a head coach uh, in an interim role right now. Damon Evans, the athletic director, has a hell of a responsibility. A hell of a responsibility when this season ends. I mean, throughout this season. Uh, And uh, I wish him the best with that, too. All right. Uh, Let's get to some football uh, real quickly. I'm really excited for the game on Sunday. I think that's the first time I've said that in a long time. Uh, I was excited for the playoff game last year. Uh, First time I've said that this year. I think Washington's going to win on Sunday. Let me not bury the lead. Washington 27, Vegas 26. That doesn't sound right. Washington 27, the Raiders 26. I like Washington Sunday. Uh, Sharp betters like Washington. The line's down to one. The public loves the Raiders. Yes, that's a tell that Washington's going to be in the smell test here shortly. 27-26. And if they win this game, they've got a four-game win streak. They're 500 at 6-6, and and they'll come home to face the Cowboys next week at FedEx Field. That will be the biggest home game Washington's had in a long time. I know they played a playoff game there last year, but there were no fans. I mean, it's been a long time for a December matchup against the Cowboys with playoff stakes at FedEx Field. It'll go from ghost town field, as Tommy calls it, to a really good atmosphere. Now, I know this for a fact that the Cowboy fans have already snatched up a big, big chunk of the available tickets. So this was going to be a a big-time crowd, uh, Cowboys crowd to begin with. But if Washington comes home, you know, four-game win streak, six and six, massive game next Sunday. By the way, the Cowboys looked awful last night. They won the game. They didn't look right. They haven't looked right. Uh, New Orleans losing was a good thing, uh, just as an aside for Washington. I know many of you would have loved to have seen the Cowboys lose and Washington really be in some big-time division stakes battles. That still may happen. But New Orleans losing was a good thing for Washington as well because they're in a battle with them for a wild-card spot. And if it came down to Washington and New Orleans with the same record and it was a two-team tiebreaker, New Orleans would win it because they beat Washington earlier this year. 27-26, that's what I got for you. Washington wins on Sunday. Let me give you a few keys uh, to pulling off the win uh, Sunday against the Raiders. Number one, um, they beat the Raiders if they continue to do what they've been doing, this formula that's been working. Move the football, control the football on offense, long clock-eating drives that result in the disparity in play counts and in time of possession. They've run on average in their three wins in a row 25 more plays than their opponents. That's amazing. Their time of possession advantage the last three games, 39 minutes to 21 minutes. Right now, Washington is fifth in the league in average time of possession. Fifth. Number one over the last three weeks, obviously. They are also eighth in the league now in yards per drive. These are impressive numbers for a team that's 5-6, and six, a team that was sputtering a little bit offensively in terms of points. I'll get to the points in a second. But, you know, the, the, the yards per drive, eighth in the league, fifth in the league in time of possession advantage, really good things, impressive numbers, numbers that should equate to more points. But therein lies the issue. They've clearly figured out how to move the football, move the chains, but they are 20th in the league right now in points 
per offensive drive. Now, I'd still rather them move the football and not score than not move the football and not score. Because if you move the football enough and you possess the football enough, you're going to break through. And they did against Tampa. And they did against Carolina. They just didn't as much the other night. And part of that was they didn't have a kicker there at the end. Washington wins if they continue their recent trend of one-sided control of the football. Number two, Washington wins if they protect Taylor Heineke. Now, there are several ways to protect Taylor Heineke. Why do I say it's important to protect Taylor Heineke? Because while the Raiders' defense isn't that great, their two edge pass rushers, Max Crosby and Yannick uh, and, and Gakwe, Yannick and Gakwe, I say, um, yeah, the same in Gakwe that played at Maryland, then played at Jacksonville, and then got traded around between Baltimore, Minnesota, etc. He's got six sacks in his last four games, eight sacks in his last six games. And Crosby's one of the best pressure guys in the league. So this is going to be a big matchup for Sunday's game. You know, Lucas and Leno Jr. against Crosby and Ngakwe. And then Scott Turner's handling of that matchup will be interesting. You know, can you run the football, take the pressure off Heineke, keep those guys at bay by running the football? I think you can. Now, the last two opponents, Dallas and Kansas City for the Raiders, didn't run the football very well. Dallas tried more than Kansas City did, but neither one of them ran it well. But the two opponents the Raiders had prior to the Kansas City and Dallas games, uh, they played the Giants and the Bengals, and the Giants and the Bengals actually ran the ball really well. So running the football will be important. It'll also be interesting to see if Scott Turner gives either of his tackles any help, especially in drop-back situations. And it'll be interesting to see if Scott Turner uses some quick games, some screens. Um, that part of the game is going to be an interesting part of the game. Keeping Taylor Heineke protected Sunday is important. Those two edge guys can wreak havoc. Thirdly, they've got to get pressure on Derek Carr. Derek Carr can hit the explosive play. Deshaun Jackson's in the game, by the way. He's three catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown against the Cowboys. You know, at 35 years old, Deshaun Jackson is still a major deep threat, and Derek Carr loves to throw it deep. Uh, Whether or not he'll have his tight end, Darren Waller, that's big. Hunter Renfro's a big target for him. Derek Carr wants to, you know, throw the ball down the field. Getting pressure and not allowing that will be important. He's been sacked a ton this year. Pressuring Derek Carr Sunday with extra man pressures, maybe out of a five-man front, or with more, you know, traditional blitzes or even exotic blitzes using, you know, guys like Curl and Collins, etc. Penalties are going to be a big part of this game. Listen to this. The Raiders are second in the league in most penalties, trailing only the Cowboys, and the Cowboys have one extra game. The Raiders have been a penalty. Uh, they've had a penalty problem all year long. Washington, meantime, has committed the seventh fewest penalties in the league and the third fewest in road games. They've been very disciplined as a football team when it comes to penalties, especially on the road. This could be a big hidden yardage kind of, of game if it's a close game. And penalties, things like penalties could make a difference in the game. Washington has a chance to be on the right side of that equation Sunday. Uh, I think it'll be important uh, for them if they're going to win uh, the game. Also, the Raiders gave up a big kickoff return in the Thanksgiving game. They gave up, a, a, a I think it was a 100-yard return for a touchdown to Tony Pollard. Right? I think it was 100 yards, something like that. And I think it was Pollard. I could be wrong about that. Um, uh, but, you know, DeAndre 
Carter is third in the league in kickoff returns. Third in the league. However, he fumbled a return against Carolina, which Washington recovered. That was a key point in the game. Um, And then he muffed a, a punt on Monday night against Seattle, and Washington recovered it. So... The kickoff return game, the Raiders giving up big kickoff returns, Washington having a really explosive return guy, uh, who, by the way, has a touchdown, remember, uh, from the Atlanta game earlier in the year. Um, This could be a key area of the game. Penalties, special teams, yardage, these kinds of things could obviously play a big role in Sunday's game, a game that I think is going to be close. I said last week that I'd be most surprised, or on Monday, I'd be most surprised if Washington lost the game in a blowout. Um, I'd be surprised if there was a blowout either way on Sunday. I think this is a back-and-forth game, and it comes down to a couple of key plays here and there, maybe a big return, maybe a big penalty, uh, maybe a big kick, and Washington's got a new kicker in Brian Johnson. Control the ball like you've been doing. Protect Taylor Heineke against Crosby and Ngakwe. That that matchup, Leno and Lucas against Crosby and Ngakwe, big. you got to get pressure on Derek Carr and not let the big play downfield happen. And win the penalty battle and win the special teams battle. You've got a chance to do that on both fronts this week because the Raiders haven't been very good on either, and Washington has been. 27-26, Washington. Let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test. test. All right, the smell test uh, today. I'm going to get through it here quickly because I want to get this podcast out. We're getting late today uh, because of the Turgeon breaking news. But the smell test is five games below 500 right now. Uh, had a winning week last week. Had a winning week uh, three weeks ago. So two of the last three weeks have been winning weeks. Um, you've got college football championship weekend and a full NFL card as well. Let me start with tomorrow. Cincinnati's giving a large number in their conference championship game against Houston, a team that has not uh, lost a game since August. They've won 11 in a row. Give me Cincinnati laying the 10 and a half. The public's on Houston. Michigan's laying a big number to Iowa, 11. That's a big number. Give me Michigan laying the 11, uh, the Publix on Iowa. Move to Sunday. Now, on the radio show, I gave out the Giants plus four in their game at Miami. Uh, However, um, their starting quarterback uh, in the game, uh, that would be Daniel Jones, is out. So I am pulling the Giants from the smell test. They are no longer in the smell test. That line's going to change dramatically. It's off the board right now. But with Jones being ruled out, Uh, That number is going to change significantly. So I am off the Giants. Let me tell you the NFL games that I do uh, like. I like the Lions plus 7.5, and and I've been right about the Vikings all year long. I'm 5-0 in games involving the Vikings. All of the picks were the Vikings. This is going against Minnesota. I like the Lions plus 7.5. I like the Chargers plus 3 at Cincinnati. Recent impressions, man, and the public loves Cincinnati on Sunday. I like Washington plus one in Vegas. Uh, The public is all over the Raiders, and there's major sharp money on the skins. Give me Washington plus the one. How is Seattle only a three-point underdog at San Francisco after the way they looked on Monday night against Washington? That doesn't make any sense 
whatsoever. Uh, I will take Seattle on general principle plus the three at home against uh, Seattle. The Steelers are only getting four and a half against the Ravens. Nobody is going to have the Steelers after the way they've looked. I will. Give me the Steelers plus the four and a half. And then the biggest underdog on the board is Jacksonville getting 13 against the Rams. The public loves LA to break out and get this thing done. I'll take Jacksonville plus the 13. There you go. That's your smell test. Cincinnati and Michigan tomorrow. The Lions, Chargers, Washington, Seahawks, Steelers, and Jags on Sunday. When we come back, Ross Tucker will be our guest right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This segment of the podcast is presented by MyBookie. Everybody's trying to cash in on the next best crypto, but if you want a guaranteed way to double your money, all you need to do is go to MyBookie and use my promo code, KevinDC, and MyBookie will double your first deposit instantly, all the way up to 1000 bucks. So if you put in $500, you are going to have $1,000 to wager with. If you put in $1,000, you are going to have $2,000 to wager with. If that's a little bit too rich for your blood and you put in $200, bucks, you will have 400 to wager with. Best time of the year for sports watching and sports betting. NFL playoff race heating up, college championship weekend in football, and then the bowl season starts. You can bet any way you bet on any other site at MyBookie. The big difference is, quite honestly, fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair totals, fair pricing. 
Uh, you can compare their pricing and their lines to anybody else. On the pricing front, it's a lot more advantageous to sign up with MyBookie. Best time of the year right now. Go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit instantly. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Let's bring Ross Tucker onto the podcast. We've had Ross on the podcast many times before, uh, talking NFL football, talking Washington football. You can follow Ross on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross has a number of podcasts. He is the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and we'll find out about a great holiday gift idea with a business uh, that he's involved in as well a little bit later on in the conversation. Uh, I wanted to start with the team here. Uh, Washington Ross has won three games in a row. What do you make of them? Really impressed on a lot of different levels. I mean, they're winning, I think, up front right now on both sides of the ball, and they're doing it without Montez Sweat, without Chase Young. Jonathan Allen has been an absolute monster and fun to watch. And even the O-line, I mean, I don't know how many centers they've gone to at this point. But the O-line has played very well. They're controlling the clock. You know, Gibson's doing a lot of positive things. Uh, even J.D. McKissick looked good the other night. Heineke's not turning it over, which I think is the key. And they got a solid football team. I mean, that, that's what jumps out to me. They have a very solid football team. And I think this is the second year in a row. You have to be impressed with Ron Rivera as a head coach. It feels like his teams get better. It feels like he, he kind of figures out the right recipe for success for that group. Maybe it takes longer than people would desire, but I think the players trust him. They believe in him. I don't think they're an overly talented team, but he's got them in, in potential playoff position. They're in the mix in December. Yeah, it's so interesting because we've talked a lot about that in the last couple of days as well because there's something about Rivera, you know, I don't think anybody would consider him, Ross, to be an elite coach. But if you go back to his Carolina days, this is a trend. Like, he figures it out. They end up playing their best ball at the end of the year. And guys like Keekly and Thomas Davis and now already, you know, a couple of guys have picked up the mantle in the locker room now. They swear by him. So it must be, you know, kind of figuring it out. But I also think there's like a leadership motivational part of this because last year's team was one and five and then two and seven. Bad division, we understand, but still they finished five and two. And this year's team was done at two and six. Yeah, you know, there's two thoughts there. One is I like to see what he could do with having a little bit more talent at some key positions. Although, look, Gibson can roll. Logan Thomas is a talent. McLaurin's a stud. So they're not bereft of talent. But I I still don't think that this is a top half of the league roster, especially without Sweat and Chase Young. But I don't know how often, Kevin, you've had a chance to talk to him. I've talked to Ron Rivera one-on-one and interviewed him a number of times. He's just really, really impressive. You know, he, uh, he's he got the uh, military background. He uh, has so much respect from the locker room, I think, as a former player. I don't think you have to be a former player, but it certainly doesn't hurt. 
And I think it's just the way he treats people. You know, he doesn't, he, he treats everybody fairly. He's honest. You know, when I played in Washington in 01, Marty Schottenheimer, some of the guys didn't like it because he treated everybody the same. But he was on, like, he would always tell you exactly where you stand. If you asked him, he'd be like, yeah, here's where you're at. You know, whereas other people, there's a lot of BSing. It just doesn't seem like Ron Rivera has any BS in him. You know, he's just going to tell you the truth. You know, so it's so funny because I do talk to him every week. I have him on my radio show every Friday. And um, an hour ago, he was on the radio show with me. I actually recorded the day before. But I... I used Marty Schottenheimer's 2001 team, which you were a part of, as an example. And I said, this is someone I'm sure you're familiar with, but that team started 0-5. They finished 8-3. and And, you know, it was Sergeant Marty, and he had guys like Daryl Green and Bruce Smith who were really pushing back on the way he did things. And I asked him, and I said, how important is it that you identify the people that are going to essentially preach your gospel, you know, in the locker room. And he said, it's very important. And you were a part of that team. You know, you were a part of like the early uh, going with Marty where it was a disaster and Daryl and Bruce and others, you know, didn't want to do the Oklahoma drill. And I mean, you remember this more than I do, but it's like, you know, this is what he sort of inherited, right? He inherited a, a turnaround situation, a total refurb, and he's got to find his own guys. And he also said, when I asked him about what makes him a good leader, he said exactly what you said. He said, I think it's because I'm really honest and people appreciate that. Um, yeah, he's there's a quality to him as a person that I've gotten to know a little bit in having him on my radio show every week that I'm impressed by. And by the way, has been missing in this organization for a long time. That's such a great way to describe it. Such a great way to describe it. You know, there's just not any politics to him. You know, he, he's just going to tell you what you need to hear, not what he thinks you want to hear. And, the thing, the biggest misnomer I've always thought about coaches and executives in the NFL is they're afraid a lot of times to just tell you the truth, you know, and they don't want to upset people. They don't want to hurt their feelings. Like everybody there is a big boy. Everybody there's, you know, a grown man. It's professional sports. They can handle it. Like they can handle it. They say, hey, we're trying to find somebody better or, we're going to have to let you go. You're not – whatever it is, I think guys, even if they don't like it, they'll respect you if you just tell them the truth. And I'm amazed how many people don't get that. And really, Kev, I don't know why. I mean, that shouldn't just be a football thing. No, that should be a life not. thing. Of course. Of course. But it's very it – t- it takes – it takes a level of courage, you know, to be direct and to be honest, you know, whether it's in business or in your family or in your relationships, you know, and he definitely has that. You know, one of the things, too, and 
this place has put up with the shenanigans forever, right? You know, Dwayne Haskins was a guy that was massively immature. What did he do? He cut him at the end of last year. You know, uh, Marty cut Jeff George after week two, which was not something the owner wanted. By the way, real quickly, am I right about the pushback of Daryl Green and Bruce Smith to Marty that year or not? Well, so, you know, I'm a rookie. Yeah. And... I, you know, I never saw that, but that's certainly what people told me, and I have heard secondhand a lot. But, you know, they didn't really do it in front of them. They might make a couple comments here and there. I know when guys were getting hurt in training camp, because it was, it was rough, man. But you have to understand, like, in 2000, Washington tried to bring in, like, the 1994 <laughs> Pro Bowl team. Yeah. It was like Andre Reed and Dion and Jeff George and Bruce Smith and just a collection yeah, of high yeah. picks and talent. Right. And so that's what Marty inherited. So he inherited a salary cap mess, and he inherited um, a, an older team that had a bunch of stars that were kind of prima donnas, and it didn't work. I mean, they weren't good in 2000. So – he needed to come in, and he wanted to do it his way, right? And, you know, Bruce Smith and Daryl Green didn't like it. And in fairness to those guys, I don't think I would have liked it either if I were in their shoes, you know? Yeah. But I was an undrafted piece of crap rookie free agent <laughs> from Princeton, and the harder training camp was, the better. And then being in salary cap purgatory or whatever was awesome for me because it helped me, I think, probably make the team. But he was, you know, it was a really hard camp. I mean, I, I uh, tore my MCL on the like the fifth day, which I don't know. I so I missed like two weeks of camp because of that. But it was. And I remember Bruce Smith saying out loud, "Dropping like flies, boss. Dropping like flies." I can't remember if that's from a movie or something like that. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm telling you, Kev, we went like two pack, two fully padded practices, three hours each. Every day for like the first 14 days. I mean, it was, you know, it, it would be so unheard of now. Like people would look at you like you have three heads, but it was 20 years ago and that's what we did. And I remember saying to my parents, I mean, I'm, I'm a rookie and I was like, gosh, I hope I make the team, but this might be my only year. I don't know how these guys do this. <laughs> like This is, uh, this is pretty intense. Um, and, and yes, there were reports. So the two things that happened, is that Daniel Snyder has always um, there's a term for it, but he's always he's always liked the stars. Okay, like he's always been about the three or four <laughs> big names. I've used players. that term. I hate that term, but I've used it many times. But he does, you know, he is a jock. You know whater, you know, and then that's what yeah, he, yeah, oh yeah, jock sniffers one. Yeah. Then the other one is star effort. Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, so. That's, that's Daniel Snyder. And so when Daryl Green or Bruce Smith reportedly would go to him and, and say how much they didn't like the way Marty went about his business, you know, Snyder listened. And then the bigger thing is, you know, Marty only went there because they gave him full control. But then Snyder kept coming over to the side of the building and trying to get involved in decisions. And Marty said, hey, Dan, like yeah, my contract says, I make the decisions. You don't. 
And Snyder couldn't handle that. And look, that's that's something he had to decide. He's the owner of the team, and the owners of the team can do what they want. And you know, if I bought a team, Kev, I think I'd be pretty involved. Like yeah. I wouldn't just like sit up in my luxury box drinking a vodka tonic or whatever. <laughs> I want to. I want to be part of. The, I want to be part of the discussion. The difference is, I have a football background. Dan Snyder doesn't. But he decided he wanted to be part of it. And then what's really crazy is, like, the next year with Spurrier, Spurrier wouldn't even know when they made personnel decisions. <laughs> right. Well, that's what he wanted. It was unbelievable. Like, Did Dan, you Dan? go from Schottenheimer, yeah. who's making every decision, yeah. and he, yeah, John Schneider was like his right-hand man, right. was like a boy wonder GM. Then you could bring in Spurrier, who wouldn't even know. Yeah, Vinny like, and Dan. guys yeah. were signed or cut. Uh, it, it was, I mean, look, this was not the intention of having you on, uh, but I feel like every time you're on, we end up going in different directions, which is fine. But, you know, the biggest, you left out the part, you you nailed it in terms of what happened in 2001, but Dan essentially admitted I wasn't having enough fun, you know, and Fred Drasner's parking spot, Marty took away his parking spot. Marty was tough, but I still contend to this day that the single biggest mistake outside of all of the obviously, you know, harassment issues, you know, football mistake that Snyder ever made was running Marty Schottenheimer because I think this team would have won and would have won for several years. And I know Marty never got to a Super Bowl and he had a lot of bad luck in the postseason, but they would have been in playoff games. They would have been winning double-digit games. And the second biggest mistake going with the in, you know the star effort, um, you know, uh, personality is when he essentially picked a 22-year-old, you know, narcissistic quarterback over a staff that included – a borderline Hall of Famer, I think he is a Hall of Famer in Mike Shanahan, and three future um, winning head coaches in Kyle, Sean, and Matt LaFleur. Um, and that's, you know, that sums it up, the destruction that well, this owner has been involved say, in over 20 me, years. Yeah. Yeah, let me, say, let me say two things about that, okay? Number one, he, he ran two Hall of Fame caliber coaches out of there yeah that they weren't looking to leave but he ran them out of there because um he chose players like he he picked players or fun or whatever over hall of fame coaches (laughs) that could have made the team consistent winner here's the other thing that's interesting my whole life kev would have been different if he hadn't fired marty i know because he, because you know, I, I, I bet he loved, I bet he loved you. No, Marty, Marty did love me. He told me at the end of the 2001 season, he could see me starting the next year. And now, in fairness, I started every preseason game in '02, including Osaka, Japan, and we That's were, great. you know, for Spurrier, we were killing people. Yeah. But here's the thing: you get into the season, and Spurrier is calling empty protection gap passes yeah. every play. And nobody could hold up. You know, Jansen and Samuels were getting beat, but they had established themselves. Since I was the second-year guy from Princeton, they benched me. You know, they traded for Brennan Stye. They signed Trey Johnson back. They benched me, eventually cut me. But if Marty had been there still, and we were running power and ISO and play action, I, I would have started. I, I am very confident I would have been able to start for Marty 
for years and maybe be a guy that, you know, got a big contract extension and was on a good team that was, you know, 10 and 6 or 11. It's just, it's, you know, NFL careers are a lot more, and that might sound to some people like sour grapes. It's really not. I, I'm just saying NFL careers are a lot more circumstantial than of, people realize. Of course. I mean, timing, right place, right time. I mean, you see that all the time in the NBA. Like, there's so many guys that can just flat out shoot it, right? So if you're just a spot-up three-point shooter and you get on the right team that has LeBron James or has, you know, a major playmaker and you can just sit somewhere and fire threes, that could have been 15 different guys, but it might end up being you. But, you know, the other player, real quickly, because I want to get to the football stuff um, that I called you about. Um, I think LeVar Arrington, now he had injuries and he was sort of, you know, turned out to be kind of injury-prone, but I think LeVar with Marty would have totally changed his career. Um, and... Oh, no, I, I say that all the time. Um, you know who reminds me of Laura Arrington? Uh, Micah Parsons. Oh, Micah Parsons. For the Dallas in same college, That's yeah. LeVar, LeVar is the only other guy I can remember that when a quarterback runs a bootleg, they think they have more time than they really do. Like, right. quarterbacks, I saw this last night with Taysom Hill, and I've seen it the week before when they played the Raiders, Derek Carr. Quarterbacks have a timing and rhythm on those bootlegs, and when they see a guy 10 yards away, they know they have a couple steps, you know, they have a second. Every time, just watch it, Kev. Micah gets on them before uh, they're ready. They, they are stunned by how quickly he gets on them. That was LeVar, the most physically gifted guy I ever played with. He was Micah Parsons. It's just a shame that he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. Um, all right. We're talking to Ross Tucker. Uh, back to Washington's team this year for one second. So where do you think this is headed? Do you think they are surging for the postseason right now and they're going to be a playoff team? Uh, probably not. I think there's too many other teams in the mix. I think that – look, I think they're in the mix. I think they're there with the teams that jump out to me are Minnesota, San Francisco, Philadelphia. That was a debacle with Jalen Hurts throwing three red zone interceptions. They lose the turnover battle 4 nothing, and they still should have won the game. Yeah, but Jay- I think Philadelphia's playing pretty well too. So I think, I think those are the four teams that are playing at a high enough level to be those, those last two wild card spots. And I got to tell you, I, I, I wouldn't love playing any of them, right? I mean, if they're the sixth, even the seventh seed, I'm not loving playing the Niners the way they're playing right now. I'm not loving playing Kirk Cousins, Thielen, and, and Justin Jefferson. The way the Eagles, I mean, Eagles are running the ball for over 200 yards a game. Yeah. And then even Washington with Ron Rivera, they're a tough out. I mean, they even showed last year against the Bucks in the playoffs, they're a tough out. So, you know, I think the NFC has a little bit more depth maybe than we realize. And even if their record ends up only being nine and eight or something, those six or seven seeds, I think, are going to end up being pretty decent teams. Yeah, I agree with you. I, and I, you know, Jalen Rager had two opportunities to pull in passes from Hertz there at the end of the game. And, and I, I really liked the way the Eagles were playing, and I kind of picked them as an outside, outside chance to make a run. And I still think they, they do with that schedule, although they play Washington twice now, and that doesn't look um, as easy uh, as it did. Yeah, um, good point. So 
who are the best teams right now? And one of the wildest years, and certainly one of the wildest last months in terms of you know double-digit favorites, not only not covering but losing outright on the regular. Who are the best teams right now? If you had to pick a Super Bowl matchup, what would it be? Uh, probably Packers Patriots. Right now, I'd go Packers Patriots. Um, but I also think Buffalo and Kansas City will have something to say about that in the AFC. I just think New England's playing the best of anybody. Uh, obviously, Monday night's game is gigantic, but the Bills still have a lot of ability, and the Chiefs are playing really well. And then the NFC, I think it's the Packers or the Bucks. I know the Cardinals have the best record, but I I think in the postseason these days, it just feels like you kind of got to walk before you run. I, I don't picture the Cardinals beating Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady back-to-back weeks. I mean, they might, and that'd be amazing. And they've got talent, and I've been thoroughly impressed with what they've done. I think Kingsbury deserves some major props for Coach of the Year, and maybe time as Executive of the Year. I mean, think about the amount of veterans they have that are playing so much better than I ever thought they would again. James Conner, Ertz, A.J. Green looks like DeAndre Hopkins. Now, they're Colt McCoy. I mean, you know, when you have that many guys, Kev, that are playing that much better than they have in a couple years, that's, that's a real feather in the cap of not only the front office but the coaching staff. Well, J.J. Watt, before he got hurt, you know, was playing at a pretty high level as well. The, the Colt McCoy, he's had two of the best games of his career uh, in the last three weeks. Um, it's it's amazing. All right. Um, Ross Tucker is the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can check him out um, and find access to all of the work that he does at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. Uh, tell me about myfrontpagestory.com. Well, first of all, it's blowing up. Second of all, it's by far the best gift you can get anybody for the holidays. You literally, Kev, you talk to a writer for 10 minutes about your wife or your mom or whoever. They write the most unbelievable story. They get a picture from you. It looks like it's on the cover of the Washington Post. It's framed. It's awesome. My mom has one at her house. My wife's grandma has one up at her house. But the key is, like, it's just so different. Like, to be able to say to your wife or your mom, like, I wanted something different, so I had a story written about you. Like, they'll be like, they'll look at you like, you like, wait, what do you mean? You got a story written about me? <laughs> it just sounds awesome. And then when they open it up and they see it, I've seen this a bunch now, but people send us videos. It's so cool, man. Like, they're blown away, and then when they read the quote, like, I just never tell her enough how much I appreciate all the little things she does for the family. Like, she'll cry. Like, even if you tell your wife or your mom you love them and how much you appreciate them, there's something about them seeing it in a quote, in a story, that just makes them cry. I I told my buddy who started the company, I'm invested in it now, but I'm like, dude, the motto of the company should be, she will cry. You will win. Myfrontpagestory.com. Well, look, I mean, this is the time of year where especially a lot of our listeners, and I'd put myself into that category, it's like, all right, jewelry, uh, spa day, <laughs> uh, manic, you know, manicure. Like, How many times do we just do the repeats every year? This is totally unique. 
And by the way, typically, I don't know about anybody else's wife, my wife much prefers like the unique thoughtful thing than the standard, oh, that's been like, you know, 12 years in a row that you've gotten me the same thing. So this is a great idea. Myfrontpagestory.com. It's actually cool. Go to the website and you'll see. It's actually a framed, you know, news story about the person that you want to give the gift to. And it looks very, very official. It's, and you know what's cool amazing idea. about it too? What? Like I was literally, I went, I had to go to my hometown of Reading, Pennsylvania, why I'm missing Pennsylvania really, to uh, this week to see my mom. You go in there and it's hanging up. So it's like a gift you give them, but then you can just point at it at any point. Like it's a, it's a daily reminder of how much you love them. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Well, you don't have to do one based on love, right? You could actually do something based on, uh, well, that's the right way to do it. But I'm sure you would have no, a no, writer. Do, I mean, you, I, people do it for their small. People do it for their small businesses. People yeah. do it for like when they retire. Like right. you know, they do it as a retirement gift. Obviously, you can do anniversary or birthday. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but it, it seems like the the most people do it. As a gift for a loved one. There would be the the one thing that would be a little bit too much is the parents that decide that they're going to do this for their kids after their kids had two hits in a t-ball game. Like that would be a little <laughs> bit, <laughs> that would be a little bit too much. Um, thank you for doing this. It's always good to catch up. I hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Have a great holiday season. Of course, man. My pleasure. Ross Tucker, everybody, enjoyed that, always do. Up next, Stanford Steve Coughlin. Stanford Steve will join us. We'll talk about the college football championship games, and we'll take our best guesses on the four playoff teams when we get there on Sunday morning. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Big college football weekend, championship weekend, and then we will get the college football playoff announcement on Sunday. Um, here to talk about it with me on the podcast is my friend Stanford Steve from, of course, Scott Show. You know, we talked in the early portion of the season, and I remember you said something about the sport's kind of broken right now because it's the same teams every year, you know, it's the Alabama, the Clemsons, the Georges, et cetera. And I agreed with you. And I, in fact, I think a lot of these end of seasons have been very anticlimactic. It's the best regular season sport, uh, but it hasn't been the best postseason sport. 
Um, but we have an opportunity here, starting tonight and throughout the weekend, to end up with something opposite of what we thought it was at the beginning of the year, right? Absolutely, Kev. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, just going through uh, the math of this week, like we have 10 titles on the line in, in college football, whether, you know, through the conferences. And we're guaranteed seven new conference champions. Uh, there's two possible new champions that are favored in their games. And then you have Cincinnati, who looks like they're, they're the only uh, repeat champion that's favored this week. So, yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. It's been that and that. And when you look at the geography of everything and, and knowing my friends still that are out west, they've lost kind of a – not a love, but just a kind of an interest when it gets to this point. It's the same teams over and over. And it's awesome to see these new teams with the opportunity uh, to go win a national title. And I think it, it is possible. Um, and it's just great to see. We needed that. But the biggest thing, and a credit to the teams, these new conference champions, is the only way to do it was to get yourself better and go out and win the games you needed to win. And I think about, a, you know, teams like Oklahoma State and Michigan that went out and right. did that and put themselves in the position this week to do so. So it's a credit to that, and I was really happy to see um, the way it played out. It, it's fun, and you always want to see some new life and, and color and, and, and flavor, and, and we have the opportunity for that this weekend. So I'm fired up for it for sure. All right, I want to circle back to the games and, by the way, mm-hmm. talk about them from a gambling perspective. But first mm-hmm. I want to talk about – where we end up on Sunday um, after all of these games tonight and tomorrow. Because to me, there is a very benign, obvious chalk holds. It's Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, if chalk holds. And then there's the chaos possibility. Let's start with chalk holding. If, If all of the favorites win, do you agree it's Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State? Yes, um, I do. Uh, I, I think that I think that's what the committee's hoping for too to make it easy, right? Uh, because they would have four clear-cut teams there. Because then you start getting the idea of the two lost teams, and obviously you have Notre Dame, who you know is, is sitting at home and, and all that they've had go on the last couple of days. But yes, I, I do believe that now the seeding on what we're going to get there, I, I I'm really interested in seeing. I would love if that was the case. I would love to see Michigan and Cincinnati and then Oklahoma State and Georgia uh, as the semis. But we will see. Um, I've, I've, I've totally uh, overthought when they got that in, in, in that room to set up the best semis the last couple of years, which I thought they had a chance to do, is cook some of the numbers. Uh, but uh, that's, what, that's what I would love to see. But, yes, if, if Chalks holds, that, that's what I see happening. Well, one, two, it will be easy. It would be Georgia-Michigan if, yes, Ch- if Chalk holds. Exactly. And then the debate will be Cincinnati or Oak State. And will Oak State's win over Baylor, you know, move them in front of a Cincinnati win over Houston? It may be based on what we see, you know, in these two games. Uh, my mm-hmm. guess is if Cincinnati wins and wins comfortable, comfortably, they're going to be the three. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That, that, that's why – I, I, I lean towards that happening. So, yeah, it, it, I think it all comes down to how they look uh, this week. And that's why I think Oklahoma State has a huge opportunity because they're the first team to play. They got the noon window all to themselves where they could say, hey, we're in a rematch scenario. We're, you know, 
give it a couple points here. If they come out and stop Baylor, um, that that would be a, a hell of a way to start the day. Uh, now, do I think they're going to do that? No, I don't. Uh, but we, <laughs> well, yeah. we can get into that. <laughs> yeah, because this now let's get to you know if chaos ensues, and there are varying degrees of chaos here, right? But I'm going to give you, yeah. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you the scenario where Georgia beats Bama. And at this point, Mm -hmm. to me, it doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter if Bama plays them close or not, although it could matter. Mm -hmm. But um, if Georgia beats Bama, we assume Bama's out. However, if Michigan loses to Iowa, we know that Iowa Mm -hmm. isn't in with a win. If Cincinnati loses to Houston, we know that Houston isn't in. If Oklahoma State loses to Baylor, I think Baylor might be in, but we're not entirely sure. So I'm going to give you the first crack at Georgia wins, but Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State lose. Who are the four? Number two becomes obvious, but who are the other two? Yeah, I, I, well, there's three spots, you know. That, but no, but Notre Dame, Notre Dame would easily snag one of those three in that in, I, the, in that would, situation, right? I, I would think so, and they would be. I mean, they could possibly be the two would be the least qualified, right? You know, like no conference champion, no great win, and that's what's amazing to me is that that is totally a possibility. Uh, knowing what's at stake here, because you mentioned Cincinnati and Michigan, like I think they have a lot, a lot to overcome. I'll, I'll put Oklahoma State in there too. Because when I look at Michigan and Oklahoma State, you finally did it, right? You got over the mountain. You beat your rival. You got it done. Your home crowd, you celebrated all weekend. And now you got two opponents in front of you that are like, oh, man, these guys. And, and listen, people have their own opinion of Iowa. I just think they're a pain in the butt uh, to have a play, have to play in this circumstance. Well knowing the emotion. Yep, knowing the emotion and the wherewithal. That, that Michigan used last week. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. It, it, it's t- I, Baylor would, I mean, Baylor would be the only conference champion. Right. You know? Um, right. So, yeah, I would, I, I would put them in. And then, then comes the hard the last, part. Yeah, because then you look at Cincinnati and Michigan, like Michigan would have two losses with a win over Ohio State, but Ohio State, you know, that's two losses. And Cincinnati would have a win over the playoff team. And that would be the only, you know? Like, but, so, but, but Cincinnati's not getting in with a loss, right? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. So let me just lay it out because I want to make sure people are following, okay? Mm-hmm. If Georgia wins but Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State all lose – Stanford, Steve, and I both agree that it's Georgia and Notre Dame that are givens. By the way, Georgia's in regardless. They could lose by 80 on Saturday, and they are in. But Notre Dame not playing again and finishing 11-1 would then move into one of the four spots with Georgia. So then we're talking about two spots. Well, Baylor, like you said, and I agree with you, Baylor would be the next most obvious because they'd be a conference champion. They would have avenged their loss to Oklahoma State, um, even though they've got a loss to TCU and they'd be a two-loss team, I think that they would climb into the top four. And then here are the teams that I think would be in the running for the fourth spot. Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. Yeah, and I would have to lean Michigan there because they have they have the best win. 
Um, I, I don't think you could put Ohio State in over Michigan. And then Alabama, I mean, I'm sorry. I, that's the thing that's curious, uh, really curious to me, is I get it. I, uh, you know, people have this Georgia team in their own tier, and Bama is Bama with, with what they've built up over the years. But those are like the two worst resumes I can remember for SEC teams. Like, they don't have any wins that, 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 that are impressive to me. Um, I mean, the best win would be Clemson. I think, yeah, and that, and, and, you know, when they played him, Clemson was horrible and they barely won the game. I said mm-hmm. to Scott the other day, because Scott was on, I think, with me last week, I said uh-huh. that the most impressive Georgia win over the year because of the way they did it was just absolutely annihilating an Arkansas team that was yeah. was live in every single game, including the game against Bama. To me, that's mm-hmm. that's the one win that was impressive. But you're right; there's not a standout win for Georgia no. or or Alabama. No, and that's that, that, that's why in that scenario, I would I would go Michigan. But here's the thing: Alabama's loss uh, wins haven't been impressive. The Auburn no. win, the LSU win. So, so we're both saying in that uh, situation that we would ex- Bama would be out. And, or we, we both agree Bama would be out. See, the, the thing about the Ohio State-Michigan thing, to me, mm-hmm. I, I understand it would have been a recent head-to-head. And by the way, it was a one-sided beatdown in the snow yep. in the big house. I still think that there are a lot of people that would do the thing that we always do, which is say, well, Ohio yeah. State would still be favored. Ohio State would, yeah. on a neutral field would be favored over Michigan. And, oh, by the way, before Michigan, we saw one of the most dominating offensive performances of all time when they put up 500 yards and 49 points on seven drives and a half against Michigan State. I think yep. it'd be really close between Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, I, I just I can't do that anymore with the with, <laughs> with the point spreads. The point, I, yeah, like yeah. I can't like Ohio State was favored on their own field against Oregon. They by double digits they lost. Alabama, oh, favored by double digits at A and M, lost. Uh, Ohio State favored by eight points at Michigan, lost. Like at some point with the, I, I don't think it, the word is deserving, but the team that that just that did the job and and has something on their resume, that's that that's where it comes down to when you look at the resumes. Now, you know they used to say conference championships matter, but you wouldn't have any that mattered there. Uh, except for Baylor, and that's why I would give them the nod. Uh, so, yeah, it is a. I know the committee's not looking forward to that scenario playing out. That's for sure. All right, before we get to the games, here's a question for you. Forget mm-hmm. everything about rankings and records, etc. Et On the yep. eye test, you have watched and I have watched a lot of college football. You've probably watched much more than even I have, and I've watched a hell of a lot. Who are the mm-hmm. four best teams in the country on the eye test? Oh, uh, Georgia. I put Cincinnati in there. I, I think they're one of the four. I think Michigan is, and I, 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 I could, I could make a case for Oklahoma State. Um, I, I, I think, I think that what they've done and what they are. See, like that's. I appreciate Oklahoma State because they've changed the way of going about things, Kev. You know, they've always been this offensive team, and then they would lose, or the offense would come up short in in Bedlam against Oklahoma. They don't have a guy that's going to be up for any of these postseason awards. They've just bought in the transitioning to 
what do we do well and let's do it. And that's their defense. Their defense has been absolutely phenomenal. And they don't get credit for that because the, everybody looks down on the Big 12. you got to face offense after offense after offense in that conference. And that's why I think that defense has validity. And I trust Gundy as an offensive guy to get things done in a spot. And, they, they I mean, that, they, that was really impressive to me doing what they did last week. Uh, so I, I would put Oklahoma State there in the eye test from what they've seen. And I know plenty of people will disagree with me. Their defense has been outstanding. Like, I think about what they did to Texas yeah. Tech, what they did to West Virginia, um, what they did to Iowa State, really, in the game that they lost um, mm-hmm. this year. Uh, which, by the way, they lost on kind of a controversial spot. spot. Yeah. yeah. Yep, no so doubt. Th- so they could be an undefeated team. To me... The four best teams in the country on the eye test, Georgia, Michigan. I, I, I've been a believer in Michigan. And, and you know what? The game they lost to Michigan State was a, oh, hose, was a hose job. Total. Oh. Um, yep. So Georgia, Michigan to me. And then I think the third best team in the country that I've watched this year is Ohio State. I, I, I just think Man. that. I think they, and I know that defensively they've given up some stuff, but they also didn't give up anything to a really good offensive team in Michigan State. Um, I think that those three, and then after that, I'm really not sure. I think, I, in some ways, Steve, I think Cincinnati was better last year. I, I see what you're saying there. Uh, I also think, I try and, I, I hate to do it. I try and throw last year out, Kev. Because, because I, I know. Of, the weird year. You know, yeah. because of all the circumstances you have. And I'm more impressed with them because of what they've had on their shoulders. They had the Notre Dame uh, game circle. The whole, I mean, that that was a hell of a, a hell of a job. And listen, I know Notre Dame wasn't healthy going into that game. And Cincinnati, they still, you know what? They still went in and took care of business and did the job. And I, I, see, I like them because they have two NFL corners. And that's what you need when you get to games like this. And that's why I'm really interested to see them against Holgerson because, uh, you know, people can say what they want about Dana. Um, I, I love the guy. Uh, I think he's, you know, people make a big deal about what he's done in big spots. He's never been favored in any of those games. Uh, he's had inferior talent, and he's always gotten his teams to that point. So I'm actually fired up. He's, he, you know, uh, Fickles gave it to him the last two times they played. I think they only scored 10 points last year. And then the year before that, they might have scored 17 or 20 or something. Uh, so I, I'm really fascinated in that matchup. But uh, I'm a believer in Cincinnati. I think they're really good up front on defense. I trust Fickle with his defensive mind. And I think Ritter has enough playmakers uh, to, to do some things against these teams when they get the chance to. Yeah, I – um. Yeah, I, I look. I I like them. Uh, I like them tomorrow because they're laying a big number. I think too big of a number, mm. and the public's hammering Houston right now. Um, yeah, and I I've already done my smell test on the show, and Cincinnati and Michigan is big favorites, and you know I hate favorites. I mean, your <laughs> your boy and I hate favorites, but I, yeah. I I just don't think Cincinnati should be a ten and a half point favorite over Houston, and the public doesn't think so either. They're 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 playing Houston at a at a big in a big way, and that number, by the way, is just sat there all week. Ten and a half, just yeah. inviting more and more Houston actions. So we'll see. Um, 
It'll be it will, look. We'll know when Cincinnati if they make the playoff. They they match up against Michigan or you know Georgia. We'll mm-hmm. see what they really are. And they played well in that bowl game, but there were a lot of opt outs for Georgia last year um, in that bowl yep. game. Um, all right, let's let's turn to the games and the matchups yep. and the numbers. First of all, tonight uh, we just saw this game, and I had Utah for the maximum allowed a couple of weeks ago against Oregon. One of the few big big wins that I've had this year. Um, and Utah's now laying a super short number. Uh, do you like Oregon's chances tonight in the Pac-12 championship game or not? I do, just because, I mean, you do your smell test. What the hell does this smell like? You know, like we just saw it. And we talked about Michigan uh, beating Ohio State and, and doing that thing the way they did it. The only way to do that was taking Ohio State's manhood up front. And that's what Michigan did in that game. And Utah did the same to Oregon uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, people could say altitude coming in a hostile environment. I've been to Utah. That place is crazy. And now you shift to a neutral site in Las Vegas. I think it's going to be a Utah home game. Um, I just, Oregon just doesn't have the goods of a normal Oregon team to me. And that, I, they don't have an elite quarterback and they don't have the guys on the outside. Uh, you always had guys that were game breakers on the outside where they could still, you know, throw a slip screen you know, a quick game play, and, and get the ball, and those guys were out the gate. They don't have that this year, and they rely on on the run game. Uh, their offensive line has been better in years past. Uh, Dye's been phenomenal since coming in for, for Vardell, uh, who, who I thought was a huge loss for them. Uh, but Utah has, I mean, it's a Whittingham team. He does it every year. Um, so well you know, coached. You watch, yeah, you watch Utah early in the year, and you're like, these this offensive and defensive line are not Kyle Whittingham teams. And over and over, he makes changes personnel-wise, and now they are dominant. Um, I would lean Oregon plus the points because I don't think the line makes any sense. And knowing what's at stake, I mean, Utah is geared up to possibly, you know, with a win and going to the Rose Bowl for the first time. So um, I, I don't like it, but I would lean Oregon in that game. Yeah, I leaned Oregon. I don't. I didn't put him into the the, the the smell test. There is actually some sharp money on on Utah. By the way, just um, for those that are interested in trying to play every single game. There is a line tonight that that reeks a little bit too, but I, I'm assuming that there was some sort of injury in this situation. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, this team, you, you, uh, Texas San Antonio, which was undefeated until last week, yeah. is catching three and a half to Western Kentucky tonight in the uh, mm-hmm. in these what is that the Sun Belt Championship game, the Sun Belt Championship game, um, Conference USA, Conference USA. Thank you very much yep. uh, in the no Conference problem. USA Championship game. So. Uh, that that reeked. All right, let's go to uh, to Saturday. Um, you like Baylor, don't you? I do. Um, I just like them in the idea of uh, of the rematch um, this year. Uh, where was it? Their Baylor's been an underdog four times this year. They've won three outright. The one game they didn't win was that Oklahoma State game, and they lost twenty four to fourteen. I think the guy Grimes, the offensive coordinator, he was the offensive coordinator at BYU for Zach Wilson. And Aranda, I thought it was the best hire of the offseason. I love the way that guy goes about his offense. Um, they had problem with turnovers uh, and, and this season, and that's when they've run into trouble. Um, but when I look at Oklahoma State, they also have some they've, – they've, we talked about their defense. They've, they've relied on it a little too much for me. And they've, they've got 15 giveaways recently, and that, that worries me because Aranda is a hell of a defensive coach, and I just like – the idea of him and their personnel 
Uh, now they got their quarterback, Bohannon's a big question mark. They need him to pull this off. But I like catching the points. The number seems weird to me. Uh, Oklahoma State's 4-1 and one when they've been 5.5 or more favorites this year, um, and they've been great against the spread. I think they're 9-2-1. and one. Uh, But it's just it, – it, I, I, I could see Oklahoma State winning a field goal game, and that's why I, I like the points with Baylor. You talked about Holgerson. Do you like Houston yeah. plus the number? I, I think the back door is going to be open – uh, in that game, um, I expect that that place to be nuts, uh, knowing what's at stake for Cincinnati and probably feeling a little bit even more pressure uh, than, like, say, in Michigan because they're playing on their home field. Uh, I look the weather. You're the weather guy. It looks like it's going to be perfect, like 55, maybe even 60 degrees there I saw, which is, which is insane to me for this time of year. Uh, I like the over. I think both offenses – are capable. Now, everybody's made a big deal about Houston's improvement on the defensive side. Uh, both teams average scoring about 39 a game. And on the defensive side, they both average giving up less than 20. But I think that's a, that's a case of, of, of inferior talent uh, in, the, in the American Conference. So I think the offenses are more polished. The number's 53. I like the over in that game uh, with the backdoor open. If I have to take a side, I would, I would lean towards the points. Um, but I, I think Cincinnati scores 30-plus, and I can see Houston scoring you know, 20-plus. Uh, by the way, the best weather game of the weekend is going to be the Monday night game uh, in, <laughs> in, in Orchard Park in the biggest game of the weekend, the Patriots and the Bills. It is supposed to be windy with rain turning to heavy mm-hmm. snow during the game. It's going to be wild. Uh, <laughs> Bills, Pats on Monday night football. First of two games between the two to really de- decide the division. Um, I know what you're saying about Iowa. They're so well coached. They're so disciplined. They're so good defensively. I don't know why Michigan is as big of favorite in this game. Um, the public's actually backing Iowa. I took Michigan in the smell test. I've loved Michigan all year long. I just think they're a really good team. I, I, I just, I think they're really, really good. Um, I love the job that Gaddis has done. I hate when they played the second quarterback. I wish they would just stick with McNamara and not, yeah. and, and not go to, you know, the, I think they've screwed themselves a couple of times, um, mm-hmm. when they've switched quarterbacks, but I like Michigan big. It sounds like you don't. Uh, I, I talked about the emotion of Michigan right. and what they what they went through last week, and I think that does matter because that the first half is huge, or first quarter, I would say. If Iowa could score a touchdown in the first quarter, I think Michigan's got their work cut out for them. I think Michigan wins the game. I just don't think they're going to cover the number. I think 23 points wins the game. I see like a 23-14, 23-17 game. And it's funny you mentioned that Michigan thing with the quarterback because – I think I'm the only person that realizes this. I went to see St. John's play good counsel that day in football, and I'm driving home, and the Michigan broadcast uh, goes down to the field, and their sideline reporter says McNamara's in the tent. Uh, you know, that's why uh, McCarthy's in. And sure enough, the first play is a fumble. Yeah. And everybody just jumps on Harbaugh like, what the hell are you doing? Oh, you're, 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 talking about the, you're talking about the Michigan State game. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Mac- but but it wasn't McCarthy's only snap in the game. No, and- no, no. But that, but McNamara was going to be in on that play. Okay, that's, I, that's, uh, I didn't, I didn't know that actually. That's that's yeah. actually something I didn't know because McCarthy also fumbled earlier in the game mm-hmm. too. Um, yep. And I forget if he lost the fumble or not. But 
Uh, look, that that game was – there was a, a defensive touchdown overturned by replay that should have never been overturned. There was a P.I. on the last drive that they totally missed that was just, yep. you know, egregious. Um, I thought Michigan got completely hosed in that game, but whatever. Um, SEC title game. Uh, it's yeah. very rare. Maybe it's never happened. I don't know. But – Nobody thinks Bama's got a shot. When's the last time that happened? They're a six-point dog, and really nobody thinks they have a chance Saturday against Georgia. What do you think? I just think there's too much capability on the Alabama side. Um, You know, when you go watch Alabama in person, you see the staff that Saban assembles, and everybody makes a big deal about these analysts he hires, right? And there's a group of about 15 guys. And you're just like, what are they doing? And then they go up to the press box for the game, and they take it in. But this is the game those guys earn their money for. They're called offensive and defensive analysts for a reason. All they do is do self-scouts on each on their own team and then look ahead on the schedule to get their team ready. And they're some of the best guys. I mean, that's you know, you hear about the, the coaching rehab and all the, the things that we're saving takes guys in. This, this, these are those guys. And I know Saban's smart enough not to say, hey, we're going to run the ball no matter what. And they're not going to line up and run the ball on that Georgia defensive front. I think you're going to see some creativity with Bill O'Brien, where it's Bryce Young moving the pocket, uh, changing snap count, you know, knowing that it's going to be probably, you know, majority of Georgia crowd. I think they, you know, screen game, quick game, using things to get their advantages at play. Because Georgia has not had any strain put on their secondary that like Alabama can put on you. And I think they will take advantage of that. I, I, I know people can't get last week out of your mind, but I think that's a scenario where, you know, Jamison Williams gets ejected for targeting, and then Mechie, this number two receiver, gets 23 right. targets. Yeah. 23 targets for a wide receiver. So I think. Alabama is smart enough to try and do things that are going to, you know, help them and help Bryce Young. Um, I, I think they keep it close enough. I don't think they win, but I, it's another game. I really, with all that's at stake, and this is this is Georgia's Super Bowl. You could they could say whatever they want, uh, but they need to overcome this, just like Michigan had to overcome Ohio State. Uh, I, I see it as a field goal, four point game. Whoever gets sevens versus threes is huge, uh, but you know. Saving, saving getting those points doesn't happen. I'll be a sucker, and I'll take the six and a half and, and probably buy it to seven. All right, two more for Stanford, Steve, and then uh, mm-hmm. we will let him go. Um, because Steve also follows the NFL a lot, um, and really when it comes to the draft, I'm curious, rank the quarterbacks for the 2022 Ugh. draft in order. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm telling you right now, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I don't think it's out of the question Sam Howell comes back to college. He didn't he did not have a good year this year. Um now whether the you know, the guaranteed money and all that adds up and, and he it's a no no brainer and he gets a guarantee, um that's that's another thing. But when I look at it, I, I like the experience that Pickett has. Um I think you need that. I think I think the the thought is growing thin on the guys who have the upside, and um, it starts like going back to Mitch Trubisky, right? Mitch Trubisky started, I think, eleven or twelve games in college. Right. They can't, they can't, you can't waste a first round pick on that stuff anymore. 
Um, it, it's just too, you, you just set your franchise back. I mean, look at the Bears. They're still recovering um, from that. Yep. So I would probably put Pickett at the top. Um, I, I, the kid I love the most probably, and I don't, I don't know, I just – He's amazing to me because of all he does is the kid Armstrong at Virginia. Yeah, uh, I just love I love the audacity he has and in the in the, the quick throw ability. Uh, I'm not into the, all the arm strength and all that, but um, I, I he obviously has some more some more ball to play. Uh, but I I, I think um, I think Pickett's the guy at the top there just because of the experience and knowing that he's played in Benning College for six years. Uh, I think that adds up to a guy that that. Is going to the best chance to step in and play at the next level? Who's his pro, who's his pro comp? Oh man, the comparison! Oh, I mean, you know uh, what you, you know what people have said. Like you know, because of his quick release, because of his arm strength, because of his you know some of the arm contorted, arm angled throws, because he's mobile. You know, people like to say he plays like Aaron Rodgers, but I mean, like, like yeah, enough no, of that. No, that, um, no, that but is, does he play like Joe Burrow? Um, I think he has a stronger arm than Joe Burrow. I, I think Burrow's phenomenal in in pocket feel, where he he could just get around guys and still get throws off. I think Pickett is still, um, I don't want to. Uh, how do you say? Uh, he's he, he's pretty brave in his mind with throws. Oh makes, yeah, he's got he's got ball yeah. security issues, no doubt, yeah. at the college level. No. He will try yeah. to fit it in in places that it shouldn't be. Yes. You know, tried to fit in. That sounded. Gross. And his arm strength is awesome. And I, I the the problem is I think Cincinnati's personnel on, on the perimeter is pretty darn good, and I think Pickett gets more credit than he should there. But I, I going Poor back growing, to ranking yeah. it like I. Yeah, I don't like I don't like the quarterback class at all, and I know a lot of people around here want to know the quarterback situation in college. I will just say it's not great. All right, last one of all of the coaching carousel, you know, madness of the last week mm-hmm. or so. Um, I know that you, and, and I know that you guys have a lot of information, and so I know some of this wasn't a complete surprise, but. Whenever you heard about it, what was the biggest surprise to you? Probably Lincoln Riley to SC. Um, I had heard some things about Brian Kelly, and I, or I should say, I had heard some things about SC wanting to go after Brian Kelly. And, you know, you talk to people around the Notre Dame program or people that know the situation there, I really, really think. Uh, and, and the same thing has happened to Harbaugh uh, at Michigan. Kelly has gotten really, really tired of going at it with the admissions office. And I think it goes back to when they got pummeled by Alabama in the title game. Like, he went to, like you guys want to get to this stage and get blown out. You have to allow some, you know, some, some restraints to, to be loosened to get better players in here. They'll be qualified. They're going to be good students. But you're being too tight. And I think – after 12 years of battling that, I mean, you saw it. The same thing happened. They didn't, they didn't, you know, uh, relax on any of the restraints. And then they go to the playoffs, get rolled by Clemson. And then we saw it again last year in, in Alabama. And I think he just got tired. I think, you know, what is he, 60? Yeah. Um, I think he sees an opportunity at LSU where, I mean, everybody talks about it. The last three coaches, the coach there have won national titles. I think that's enticing. I think it's a fresh start. 
Um, the people down there are incredible. We've been down there. You've seen it, uh, how into it they are and, and how hungry they are. And they just want to win football games. And I, I, I was, I think they, I think they had their, you know, they, I think they wanted Lincoln Riley. Um, and I think, you know, obviously it started with Jimbo. Uh, but I think they might have stepped into a great situation in getting Kelly. Now he's got some work to do hiring some coordinators. Um, but I, I'm a believer in Brian Kelly. I think he's phenomenal with what he's done at Notre Dame. And I think he looks at this as a, as a big challenge and an opportunity. And I'm pumped to see what he does down there. So <clears throat> let me just make sure I, I follow that. So your biggest surprise was Lincoln Riley to USC because you thought that, that Kelly might end up at SC and Riley might end up at LSU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my biggest thing, I, 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 the biggest surprise to me is the idea of these, the Oklahoma and Notre Dame fan base and, and, and the, how highly they thought of themselves. Like, you know, with Oklahoma going to the, S, the SEC, I'm not sure, um, you know, Lincoln was – knowing what he's done when he's faced those teams, I'm not sure if he, if he was all into that. Uh, obviously, the money grab was enormous. But um, I just – like, you know, he's, he's leaving to take the best job in, in the Power Five conference. Uh, I, I don't fault him for that at all, and I think Oklahoma has this this thought of themselves like they're at the top. They're 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 not they're not the elite program, and you know it, it's fascinating to me because you have possibly the best quarterback in college football on your on your roster, and you're just up and leaving. Um, and I know there's plenty of Caleb Williams fans around here, so it uh, it was it was a surprise to me because I thought they were starting to turn the corner with recruiting, and the Big Twelve is the Big Twelve, but. The SC job, knowing knowing what is capable there and seeing it when I played and, and obviously seeing the Pete Carroll days, um, I think Lincoln's – I think he has some work to do X's and O's wise. I think people have caught up to the offense. But what SC needs is, is a recruiter. And Lincoln, I mean, you already see what he's doing there. Um, you gotta you got to own your backyard in Southern California, and they have not done that since Pete Carroll left. So it's, it, it is fascinating to watch to see what Lincoln Riley does. I think the most fascinating thing, and I talked to Tommy about it on the podcast, I've talked to Scott about it the last couple of days, is just this notion, which you described, that Notre Dame and Oklahoma aren't what they think they are. Like, it's one thing yep. It's one thing to say that about Oklahoma, although it's, a, it's an incredible thing to say about Oklahoma. When Brian Kelly said the other day, I wanted to go to where the brights were light, where the lights were brightest. I wanted to be on Broadway, mm-hmm. I wanted, on the Broadway stage. He coached at Notre Dame. Yes, it is yeah. still that is still just mind blowing to me. But, and I made this point yesterday to Tommy. If you haven't been paying attention, the SEC, fo- the, the 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 football conference known as the Southeastern Conference, is the holy grail. It is the number one sports property in all of college sports. If you're not in the SEC, you are second tier to a certain degree, even if you're Notre Dame. The LSU job is better because it's in that league than the Notre Dame job. And it it, it made me think, um, Steve, that Notre Dame's biggest mistake was not going to the Big Ten when they had a chance to go to the Big Ten. That was a big mistake Mm. in hindsight, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Looking back at it and, and seeing the success uh, they have had and that conference has had, if they, I mean, think about how much they, you know, paths and stuff like that. But it's just that different. Notre Dame should needed to be a part of a conference. Oh yeah, no, it's it, it, and it, and it, 
that I think that goes into the thought of themselves, right? Yeah, like they didn't need it. Well, they yeah, did. They did. Exactly. They did need it. Yeah, and and, and I just, Kev, I just want to like, I've spent so much time down there. Like people don't realize it until they're down there and they see it. Like it is a war every Saturday. You know, you don't know. Every stadium is packed. Every fan base is into it. And now this is where it gets crazy because the recruiting is every day. And and, and these these guys, I mean, SC, that's how they got caught in the trouble. You know, they just thought everybody's going to come to them. And these SEC schools just went out there and were like, you know what, let's go get California guys. Yeah. And, you know, Urban Meyer said it that when, you know, Pete Carroll was there, they never even thought about going to California. And then as soon as he left, they all went out there and they started forgetting everybody out there. So it starts. It's obviously every Saturday during the season, but the recruiting is where it's at, and that's why those teams are so good. Because look at the the, the offensive and defensive linemen up front that get drafted. They're all from the SEC. All the good ones. At Stanford Steve eighty two on Twitter, he does all of those great podcasts uh, with Chris the Bear Felica. Um, listen to those. Uh, you can find everything Stanford Steve writes and does at ESPN.com. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, let's enjoy the weekend. It should be a good one. Absolutely. I don't do this much. I, I don't give out NFL picks, but Buffalo for the limit Monday night. Really? Oh, yeah. um, I did not uh, I did not have a, a selection in that game. Um, so I I, I, I mean you, you just want to you just want to watch the weather in that game that, you the, the, weather, the, the weather. weather could be fascinating in that game but it should be a hell it should be a hell of a game too but yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine that Mac Jones going into that environment on a Monday night you know could mm-hmm. be a little bit overwhelming but God have the Patriots just annihilated people here over the last month and a half it's amazing um, all right I'll talk to you I hope hope all is well thank you my man I appreciate you having me on Stanford Steve, everybody. Uh, always love having him on the show. And just as an FYI, uh, if you know Steve from Scott Sports Center, if you know Steve from all the work he does at ESPN with Chris the Bear Felica, he's one of the great dudes. You guys would love Steve. Such a good dude. And it's so great to have him and his wife and his girls as D.C. area residents now. So there you go. All right, that's the show for today. Uh, Back on Monday, maybe back tomorrow, too. There's a chance I may do a Saturday show as a makeup for Wednesday.